Hey guys, in this episode, we're going to cover a true story of getting your first customer, scaling to more customers, and also the future of 3D printing. Hey guys, we've got Uriah here from QB, and what's really exciting is that he built a 3D printing as a service platform, and he has 1,900 people on it that are doing 3D prints for him. So I want to ask you, how did you build up such a large group of people willing to do your 3D prints? Yeah, so I think I'll start by saying they don't necessarily do 3D printing for me. That's not how we that's not how we see it. They utilize a tool that we give them um, or they utilize the different sets of tools that we provide them to to grow their own 3D printing service. Um, and one of the tools is a marketplace, a 3D printing marketplace, which is which is the, the home base of, of QB. Uh, it's a really good question. And I think um, right, getting started is something that uh, that is always a, the, the hardest question. And, and I think for us, I will say, um, yeah, 1900 is a number that we're really, really proud of. But when we started off, we thought we were going to be this marketplace. Um, originally, we imagined like an Airbnb for 3D printing. And then uh, it's it's really cool that I brought 1,900 3D printers eventually, but you also have to bring the people who will uh, buy 3D printing services, and that's not always uh, that does not always go together. So so even though we have like a really big achievement here, there's also a challenge. Um, but we we worked around that because we kind of shifted from being this regular marketplace into a company that provides tools for uh, 3D printing businesses or or up and coming 3D printing businesses to grow. And the way we got started was. Uh, First of all, my partner, my co-founder, uh, his name is Oded. We're friends since high school, and uh, we were living next to each other. We were both like students and bartenders, and we always thought about uh, instead of going to business school, we would start a startup together. And he was an industrial designer, and he had his own printer. And then as he kind of uh, grew with it, more and more people people needed his services, and there were more and more needs that he had. Um, and we we're lucky enough, or I guess that's what most people should do, um, to have someone that is really a part of that community and has the real need. So we knew, first of all, what the problem is for our user and what we can uh, what we can do to, to build it. Um, and and for us, the the first products was just a really really simple place for people to send you a three D file, pay for that file immediately, get an instant price quote, and like not have to do do this whole emailing back and forth. So. so so we were lucky enough to, to start off by giving these people, um, manufacturers, a really good tool to work with um, that they wanted. And the second thing was happened was we had this platform and we were kind of working on it and building it and doing different user tests. And it was still under construction when COVID hit uh, in 2020. It was like we were at Bootstrap. We were both doing different I was selling art at an art gallery. He was like still a student and a bartender. Um, and COVID hit. We both lost our jobs, um, but 3D printing kind of hyped because all of a sudden you had all these different segregated areas all over the world and people were running out of specific supplies, especially uh, tools to fight COVID with. So face masks and all these different, you know, uh, people were afraid to open doors back then. So do door handles and what we decided to do was even though our platform was not ready at all, we launched it uh, without it having any financial transactions on it. So completely free and just told people, hey, if you 
um, have a 3D printer and you can help your local community um, in any way, you can sign up to this platform. We accept, we, we see where people need things and then we ask local manufacturers to create them. It's all voluntary, right? Everybody was sitting in their house. Everybody wanted to do something to help. And it was great. We started, um, I'm, in, uh, I'm in Tel Aviv right now. So we started in Israel. We had areas that were completely closed off and we were able to manufacture parts inside that area, which was really, really cool. It was all free, it was all, but it was it gave us a push. It got people to know us and, and it brought us the first few hundred uh, micro factories to kind of join and get to know the platform. After things kind of chilled out with COVID, we, we kind of came to them, we emailed them and we said, hey, listen, um, here's what we're gonna do. We're, we've built this product to be, uh, you know, your kind of print shop or a cloud print shop. And what we hope to do now is if you want, you can close your shop. Um, right now it's just idle, no one can see you. Um, and if you want, you can transform it into uh, your, your kind of homepage business. You can be a part of QB and start getting paid for orders that you receive, whether you bring them in or we bring them in or whatever. That was how we got started. Um, and then the second part is the tool is free. So uh, if you if you use the free version of, of QB, you can sign up, you can open your print shop. It's a really, really cool tool for people with 3D printers who want to make money, but it doesn't cost you anything to have it unless you're actually making money. So initially we're, you know, just taking, we're taking a 10% cut of orders. That's it. So at the end of the day, that gave us a really easy way to bring them in. We did some, some social media marketing, um, a little bit of Facebook, a little bit of Google, uh, basically saying, have a 3D printer, you know, start printing for people in your area or uh, grow your 3D business, profit from your 3D skills. That was like the, the main goal that we used. It's basically, here's a free tool for you to use. You know, if, if it helps you out and you make money with it, great, we're going to be happy. Um, but that was that was, that was was it. Um, we, we had a lot of people saying, you know, whatever, it's, it's free. I'll sign up. I don't care. I'll spend five minutes. And oh, this is actually pretty cool. Other, other people didn't think it was cool and, and signed up and never used it, right? You have those users as well. But that was how we got started. And I, and I think like what I, the tip that I would give anybody is it's if you have a specific user base that you know you're going to work with, uh, starting off by giving them a tool that could really help them out, could get them to know you, could get them to like you and interact with you, could, could get you to kind of have a base of people to work with. That's a great way to get started. Um, and then they already trust you. You already give them something. They've been exposed to you. And once you come up with like your bigger product, you already have a user base to kind of come out to and talk to and work with as you develop what you're building. Yeah, that's awesome. I think it was really brilliant how you identified that there was this local manufacturing problem and you were able to just get a bunch of people to sign up uh, for free because it was local. Um, and that, that really shows that you were good at overcoming a lot of the roadblocks that people have at the beginning of not knowing how to get their first customers. Um, you really just have to like hustle your way into finding how to get them. Um, so yeah, after also, you, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So after you had the, the first couple sign up and you knew you needed to start scaling this thing, how did, how did that look like? It was really hard. It was really, really hard, and it still is really, really hard. Um, we we wanted to focus on the United States, um, so our tech team is all in Tel Aviv. 
um, which is it's a startup capital basically, um, and and most startups are kind of U.S. centric uh, in, in that end. So it's harder even because you don't have people that you know. You can just go talk to, give someone a call. You kind of have to do everything online, use data, um, and first thing we did was was do a little bit of advertising just to test the water to see how many people um, can actually join us uh, and at the same time we uh, we did we tried to raise some capital um, we got accepted to an accelerator that invested $125,000 in the company and that gave us the privilege to be able to actually do some social media marketing and because we were marketing a free tool um, that you that that you only pay us if you get paid, right? Because it's a marketplace model. Then it was the customer acquisition was was really cheap. So okay, we have one hundred twenty five thousand dollars. Let's put a thousand dollars in social media marketing. We we did a lot of work on it. We're creatives, right? We're all in the arts. We did everything ourselves. Everything everything in house. I kind of um, watched a lot of YouTube's on how to market, and we and and we were able to create. You know we. We're lucky enough to have like friends who did photography and we brought a few friends over and brought some printers over and did a photo shoot. Um, yeah, called it uh, and did our first profit from your 3D skills uh, ad. Just an image of, you know, some of our friends with 3D printers and cool 3D printed things. And that was that was it. Yeah, that's that awesome. So I'm wondering, what was the, the biggest roadblock that you never anticipated? Sort of how did you overcome it? We did a lot of shifts. Uh, so I, I did mention the fact that we we originally said, oh, people need to 3D print stuff. They're always looking for a cheaper alternative. People have 3D printers. Let's just build a place where they can meet. Well, bringing an end consumer to buy a service and to pay for it, right? Because bringing the, the manufacturer, okay, yeah, it's a cool tool. Like they're very engaged. They're looking for things like that. It helps them. Great. Somebody who needs to 3D print there are giant print farms out there and, and, and cloud services. We had no idea. We got started. We were, we were novices. I literally went to my girlfriend's brother who worked at Google and asked him, how do you start a startup? What do I do? And he's like, oh, you got to meet a, a tech guy. You got to meet some developer and, and bring him along and like make him excited about it. And that's what we did. But we didn't know anything. So um so bringing, bringing these people like to pay, that was a huge roadblock because they did not come as easily. So within our community, great. Um, inside, inside Tel Aviv, that area, it worked fine. But then to market um, to students, which was our initial market in, in the United States, for example, that was super expensive and we lost a lot of money on it and eventually realized, okay, this is not a market where we can build you know, a company that could raise millions and then tens of millions and the market is not big enough um, or it's just the barrier to, of entry is, is too high and people can compete with us easily. So um, so that was a hard challenge because, you know, you already invested in this idea and you're like, oh, this is amazing. And then, oh, okay, we have to, we have to make a change. And what's hard is until you achieve some sort of product market fit where you feel like the market is telling you, um, this is really great. We really need this. And you look around like, oh my God, there are so many people who would say the same thing because there are so many businesses who are experiencing this problem, which is something that we're now finally feeling that like we're getting there, both with what we're providing with the manufacturers and with what we're providing um, the people who end up 
buying the services on both sides. We're like finally feeling it and it's still not exploding. Like we're still not, my DMs not like filled with people saying, hey, we need access, give us, you know, service, service. It's not happening that way. Um, so those shifts to make that decision to kind of say goodbye to something that you worked hard on and then understand what you need to incorporate in your company to make it better and to actually make it succeed. Like those small pivots, that's really hard. And the hardest part is that you do that pivot and it fucking doesn't help, right? You do that pivot and you're still kind of crawling. You still get that one order a day on your path, like one client a day. Oh my God, I spent $20 in ads and, and I got $15, right? You got a $15 order and I only make a, a buck 50 out of that. So like, what, what is the business here? So that's, I think those were one of the biggest challenges. And the other side thing is, is fundraising, which is just so hard and so frustrating. And it's like, I don't know. It's it's it can really knock you down. Like it, it's it's an it's a, an emotional roller coaster because the whole concept of it is you got to meet like a hundred investors. One might fall in love with you, but you just kind of it's like speed dating, right? With a bunch of people that are way out of your league. Yeah. <laughs> Always. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um. Uh, yeah. Sorry. Go ahead, Tyler. No, I'll ask one more. Um. So I guess the last thing uh, I wanted to ask before Vidal ask his section is um, like so obviously there's lots of people in this 3D printing space, but you stood out and you got the investment. Wow, there's lots of other companies that didn't. I'm wondering how do you think you stood out from the noise and actually uh, sealed the deal? Yeah, so it's interesting. Um, we always had one foot in the 3D printing world, saying like we're th like we're th we're in the 3D printing space, but our other foot was always outside of it. Um, we were always talking about taking this closed off 3D community that is kind of working together and is like this micro economy, and flipping it outwards and letting it kind of, or commercializing it or helping it kind of grow and bring in new clients. When I market QB outward, when I'm fundraising, when I talk to businesses, my whole point is I'm not bringing in people who need 3D printing. I go to businesses that have no technology uh, knowledge of the space at all, or, or, or generally, like even brick and mortar shops. We, our main clients are plant stores, for example. We go to plant stores that are used to work with importers or work directly with China. And we tell them, hey, here's a really cool plant catalog. Like here, planter, like here, here are planter pots that are 3D printed. They're locally made. You can customize them any way you want. You don't have to order 500 of them and then wait in the, like, or invest $10,000 in like your own, whichever customized prototype and then wait four months for it to be shipped to you. That doesn't happen. You order 20, they'll get here next week, put them up see which one sells, like order five different ones, see which one sells, order 20 more of that and just keep going, right? And then and then that's when, so, so to answer your question, we are using 3D printing as a means to help businesses or help our customers just hack the supply chain, right? So we're not 
a 3D printing hardcore company, like our software, our technology is not about 3D printing. We're a commerce solution. We're building, we're, we're building a new method of commerce where products are locally made whenever they're needed and wherever they're needed. And they're fully tailor-made to their customer's need, which is like the vision of where the world is going with 3D printing. I didn't invent that, but I just, I just think we're in like the place to make that connection. Like a lot of amazing things have happened. A lot of amazing entrepreneurs have already emerged in the 3D printing world. And we're able to kind of take all that knowledge and give these people tools for them to flip it and make this something that resonates with the world's economy. That's what I tell myself at least. I, I love that. I love that story. And I love the fact that you sort of laid out that personal element to it throughout. And it's, it's very, a lot of people can probably relate uh, to that and that difficult journey. Uh, so thanks for that. Just zooming out a little bit um, for my own personal curiosity, because I haven't haven't interacted with the 3D printing world much. And for the for the other people who don't know maybe as much about it, can you tell us a little bit about the past, present, and future of 3D printing? You alluded to the future a little bit when you said that it's going to be more distributed, more um, yeah, more a make it when you want it sort of uh, thing. So it's yeah more efficient but maybe tell us this little bit about this journey of how how you how it's been how it how it's going yeah so there's the famous s-curve you get you guys know the s-curve right that there's like there's a huge technology hype it gets yeah. really really high and then like it falls and then slowly kind of rises back up so right uh just NFT just dropped here or crypto just dropped, right? Uh, VR is like starting to come back now. 3D printing is like, it's here. It's on the rise again. 10 years ago, we would have sat here probably on Skype rather than on Zoom. And um, I would have told you that in 2023, you'll each have a 3D printer in your house, not lying around doing nothing, but um, you'll just order off Amazon and, and you're product will be 3D printed for you, right? That was the dream. And it exploded in a lot of people's face because the technology did not live up. The machines um, were, the, the really good ones were too expensive and um, the ones who were cheaper and like desktop printers just, you know, needed a lot of tinkering with, they still do, right? Uh, materials weren't as vast, like you couldn't have any, like now we have a million different types of materials for 3D printing, but they all have specific printers or specific printers can do more, but they're really expensive, right? Most home printers can basically do, you know, a few variations of plastics or bioplastics or resins. Um, and then that hype kind of just like the whole system crashed. The entire industry in a way, like they've always been, there's always been one to put in like um, 3D printing as, a commodity and the other is the industry side, but the entire uh, industry shifted to hardcore industry 4.0. So like now you won't find any factory almost in the United States, for example, that won't have a 3D printer for some form of use in, 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 the, in the manufacturing process, not necessarily for the end product, but at least for some sort of prototyping, right? It's, it's integrated into the industry. Um, and that's what you don't understand. The big 3D printing companies, the, the biggest ones, are selling to, um, to 
aviation companies and to autom automotive companies and to, like anything you can think of, like right? Why um, why do uh, an injection mold of uh, of a Boeing plane when you only need a hundred of those, right? It's so expensive to create the mold. Let's just like pretty print them with a hundred thousand dollar printer. So there's that huge shift, and then with the community of the home 3D printers, desktop 3D printers, what happened, I think I talked about that a little bit, is this, this really amazing maker ecosystem emerged, like a really strong community of people who love this and amazing product designers and amazing makers and creators. Um, and it's just like micro ecosystems. It's not a huge market, but you have over 100,000 print shops across the world, so which is small to medium businesses that are providing 3D printing services, selling on e-commerce, um, you know, do, doing whatever. And then there are tens of millions of products out there. So any product designer can, can probably design something and it could be for, for 3D printing and there are specific models that are made for it. So there are amazing marketplaces out there for digital files. It's a really, really amazing world to be a part of. It's a really strong community, but it's kind of like a geek economy, right? QB is exactly that pinpoint where we're saying, okay, th there was this hype, it didn't live up. We're now in a place where production price of, of end consumer products, um, production prices are low enough and quality of those products are high enough. I mean, printers became very, very cheap and, and quality became way, way better. And finally, like there was this space of it's cheap enough and it's nice enough to be sold to end consumer, like you can finally make something that would be in a high-end design store and a customer would walk in and it would be beautiful and they would love it. They don't know that it's 3D printed. They don't care that it's pretty 3D printed. You could tell them it's a locally made product, right? You could tell them it's, it is used with this like cool technology. It's a cool selling point, but they don't care. It's just the product is good enough and cheap enough to be sold. And, and this is where, this is our play. Like we're only in that space. We're saying, okay, we can finally help make that shift using cheaper machines, really, really good high content designs, right? And a distribution network. And that way these products make sense and they're actually being put out into the world. Um, I, that's not necessarily the future. I think this is like the near future. And I think QB is a big part of that, but also, you know, the entire community is going in that direction, but we were visiting a Modix, which is a, it's a large 3D printing, like a, a 3D printing company that makes large printers. Um, we were visiting them today and, and he said something really cool when he talked about the vision. He said, you know, our grandchildren are going to hear the story that we used to walk into a store and say, hey, that's a really cool sneaker. Can I have it? And, and um, the, the salesman would say, oh, I'm sorry, we don't have your size. Like that won't happen anymore. So this is like, this is the, this is the future. This is the vision. The vision is instant mass customization. Um, everything will be completely fitted into uh, the needs of the consumer and it will all be integrated in technology. So I think marketplaces will have not only your size, but like your fit, it will be like, it's not only 3D printing, it's just industry 4.0 or smart manufacturing in general, right? So your size will be, will be already on, onto your phone. When you shop something, it will be tailor fit to your needs, right? You, like you could, you could do customizations like you could never think before. It will be super fast and super efficient and a lot greener because, you know, a lot more, it will be localized. Um, that's where that world is going. And um, I think that the smaller machines or the smaller creators 
will have more and more space in this world. It will no longer be this, these huge centralized distribution centers. It won't only, won't only be a distribution center. And if you ask me like what the vision is, is like if 10 years ago I, would say, I told you you'd have a 3D printer in your house and that imploded, I don't think that vision is ever coming true. You, you will not have a 3D printer in your house unless you like to, like to, to fiddle with it, but you will have a 3D printer in your block because that's what you need. A, three, like a, a 3D printing center, a legit center in your block that will cater to all of your needs. And slowly, more and more and more products will be manufactured this way, just because it makes more sense. No, very, very cool. Um, I, I will say you touched upon this upon the, the sustainability angle a little bit, and this one is especially kind of uh, close to my heart. Um, while I was looking up a little bit about 3D printing for, for asking you some questions, um, because I, 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 don't, I know absolutely nothing about it, I read that uh, the, the material used in, in, um, in 3D printing, the PLA, that's bio-based. Um, is that right? Are the materials actually more better than, than you would find maybe an equivalent if, if it was a non-3D printed manufacturing process? And if, if so, if that is true, I feel like that may have like that part of the story. I don't I don't hear about that enough, or at least I, maybe maybe you can tell me whether where it does it get lost or you know it's just there and I haven't heard it and, and maybe talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So here's the thing. First of all, it's yeah, it's better materials. Most PLA is made out of usually cornstarch based, right? It's a bioplastic. It's a lot more biodegradable than regular plastic. You also have normal everyday plastics and 3D printing, and especially in the industrial 3D printers, which are using many different methods. You're talking about what desktop FDM, they're called um, desktop printers do. So they take the PLA, they melt it down, and they kind of reshape it. Um, but you have all these different, you know, uh, gels and, and you know, uh, lasers making polymers into, into solids. And uh, it's insane, right? They're printing tissues, like human tissues now. Uh, and, and some of those processes are actually very chemical, right? So you, uh, you can't just say 3D printing is greener. Um, PLA is better than plastic, and we use often PLA, but it's not green enough yet, in my opinion. Mm, I see. It still takes a long time. Like, it decomposes under very specific uh, um conditions not just not just instantly it's much better than normal plastic right we will decompose you know, probably 200 times faster but still um it's it's not almost there but amazing things are happening um we have we are seeing now you know factories or or, or filament companies filament is the filling for like the, the material for for 3d printing that are going 100 recycled so they're only using recycled plastics. They're only using recycled uh, recycled goods, and you have more and more of these coming. You now we're not talking about opening these centers that would take you know tires that blow out on the highway in 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 California and transforming transforming them into filament. So amazing things are happening in this field. So even though um, we're already in a better place than traditional manufacturing. Even though, like some people would say, well, you know, you transfer a small portion of the material, and that you know um, causes house gas, and then you have the whole uh, processing and the energy the printer takes. So there's still like a lot of things to consider. Um, it's greener, 
but it's going to get a lot bigger. Like the, the huge potential here is where it can go because eventually, yeah, a print shop or a micro factory, like we got to think of it as not only 3D printing, but a micro factory could end up being just, you know, a shipping crate that has five to 10 different kinds of machines in it in a computer, right? But on the back end, you can bring in recycled plastics. It can break it down. It can turn it into filament. And that's what, that's what we'll be creating. Like plastic bottles will turn into products that are useful. That's the, that's where that world, that's the vision of this thing. Yeah. That's, that's super interesting. By, by decentralizing almost the manufacturing process, you maybe you can maybe also decentralize the collection process. Are you, are you, am I putting words in your mouth or did you, did you sort of allude to that, uh, to that a bit? Um, yeah, that's, you, you, you got it. You're there. And think about like each different areas and zones in the world can use and reuse different types of materials depending on what is there. Like as humanity, we've overproduced so much, right? We have so much crap everywhere. We're going to start mining, like they're talking about doing uh, urban mining soon. You're going to go into areas where people don't live anymore, don't need or desert, and you're going to start utilizing all these different things and materials and resources that we've already used up. Right, we're gonna re like that's the whole point of recycling, probably basically. But you have companies now that sell 100 percent uh, ocean waste in as material for 3D printing. So each area, like eventually, yeah, we're gonna have houses that are being 3D printed using local waste. Very, very fascinating, and I think that a lot of this conversation for me, especially, was super enlightening. Uh, do you have anything you'd like to like to add? Anything that we we maybe missed and didn't ask, and you wanna you wanna touch on? Um, yeah, I'll say like maybe just from uh, right. Most people aiming to, like who will hear this are probably thinking about or early stages of starting a company, right? That's that's basically most of who we're, who we're talking to at the moment. All right, that's that's the. So, so I think like the one thing, regardless of specifically 3D printing or anything that you do, um, it is so freaking hard to start a company and um, chances are you're going to end up just shutting it down, which is like really, yeah. really sad because you build it. We've been really close to shutting down a few times and statistically it's probably going to happen sometime in the future. Um, but it is the most amazing like life life lesson that I've learned. I mean, it is so incredibly hard, and we have to always like cut ourselves slack because there doesn't there isn't a day that goes by where I say to myself, I should have done more. There's like I, I give myself shit for not getting enough done or failing at something or not being good enough. Um, so cut yourself slack. And if you're not having fun, change something about what you're building or how you're building it. Because if it's just going to be hell, it's going it's to be hell sometimes, no matter what. But just make sure that you're loving it. Because if not, stop. It's not worth it. I think there's a, there's a great lesson in that. Um, yeah, that definitely resonates. I don't have anything further. Tyler, do you want to go ahead? Um, yeah, I think that's all. I'll, uh, I'll stop recording now. So.